When Jesus and his disciples encountered the storm on the Sea of Galilee, it was a storm like they had never encountered. This was a supernatural, a satanic storm. And today on this episode of Awaken to Grace, we're going to talk about what do you do when storms come into your life? And not ordinary storms, not the kind of storms that you weather through life. I'm talking about a storm that is caused by Satan. What does a Christian do when those times come? We're going to learn straight from Scripture today. We're going to see the lessons in faith that Jesus taught his disciples and ultimately that Jesus wants to teach us. I'm so glad that you're listening to this episode of Awaken to Grace. I'm Chad Roberts, and I would love for you to download my free mobile app, Awakened to Grace, where you will have hundreds and hundreds of sermons just like what you'll hear today right at your fingertips. Download Awakened to Grace wherever you get your favorite apps today. Well, let's go to God's Word in Mark chapter 4 as we study Jesus calming the Sea of Galilee. Today we are in Mark chapter 4, only verses 35 to 41. We are going to see the miracle that Jesus performed of calming the Sea of Galilee. I want to show you today why I believe this was not an ordinary storm. I want to show you why I believe this was not even a natural storm. I firmly believe that this was a supernatural storm designed by Satan himself to prevent Christ from crossing to the other side. I'm going to show you today why I believe Satan did all that he could to keep Christ from making it across the Sea of Galilee. And I'm going to show you why I believe Satan will send storms into your life. Not ordinary storms. Not even storms of your own making. I'm talking supernatural storms that tries to prevent the work of God in your life. That tries to prevent the will of God. That tries to prevent the extraordinary things that God desires to do in you and through you. I want to show you that today out of the Word of God. Let's begin in chapter 35. I'm sorry, verse 35. Chapter 4, verse 35. John is going to tell us that on that same day when the evening had come, Jesus said, let us go across to the other side. If you're going to take notes today, the first principle that I want you to note is that Jesus made them a promise. Now, this is significant. If you will pay attention to the Sea of Galilee within the Scriptures, and more so to the shore around the Sea of Galilee, a lot of things in Scripture will begin to click and make sense to you. If you're going to take notes, let me just give you some interesting facts. The Sea of Galilee is really what we would call a lake. It's really not all that large. Some of you have probably been there if you visited Israel. It's not really all that big. The Sea of Galilee is 13 miles long, and it's only 7 miles wide. It's interesting that it is the lowest freshwater sea in the entire earth. It's 680 feet below sea level. 
And Jesus gave them a promise and he said, we are going to go to the other side. They were going to travel 13 miles to the other side of the sea. Now, if you'll pay attention along the shores and where Jesus is and what miracles are going on, you'll understand the context of the scriptures a lot better. So, for example, when he goes to the other side, we're going to be in chapter 5 next Sunday. He's going to come to the heir of Gennesaret. We're going to see the demoniac man, the man who had 2,000 demons, a legion of demons, as our brother mentioned earlier. Now, I don't know if you're like me, but I have often wondered when Jesus cast out that legion of demons out of that man, where did they go? They went into the herd of pigs. Why is there a herd of about 2,000 swine in Israel? That don't make sense to me. Pigs are not kosher. Jews did not eat pigs. So what are they doing there? It always felt weird to me. It always felt out of place to me, and I didn't understand it. Now that I understand along the shores and the many things that Jesus did, if you'll understand why he's in the northwest shore and why he's in the northeast, and if you'll understand where these things are, where we're going to be next week, as we're making our way literally to the other side, he's going to be on the eastern border where today Jordan would be. And this is going to be the land, the area of the Gentiles. The swine is there because they're feeding the Gentiles. And that's why when Jesus casts the demons out, they go into the pig, they go into the sea and drown. What do the people want to do? They want to kick Jesus out of their district. Why? Because he hurt their pocketbook. Because he messed with their livelihood. Their wallets. If you'll understand the significance of the Sea of Galilee in the ministry of Jesus, you'll begin to understand why certain things happen. Mark chapter 10 will be there in many weeks. Well, six more weeks. Why did they ask Jesus about divorce? Because the area that Jesus was in was controlled by Herod. And why was John the Baptist beheaded? Because he condemned the divorce of King Herod. So what did they do? They asked Jesus, what do you say about divorce? The scriptures will begin to connect the dots. They'll begin to click when you understand the significance of the Sea of Galilee and the shores around it and the areas around it. So Jesus makes them a promise. Jesus says, we're going to go to the other side. Friends, do you know what the principle is today? You and I do not have only one promise from God. You and I, through the word of God, literally have thousands upon thousands of promises from God. Scholars tell us that there are some 7,000 promises in the word of God to today's believer. I want you to think about that. 7,000 promises made to you today. There isn't just one promise. There are thousands of promises to cling to. But like the disciples, do you know when you and I forget the promise? It's in the middle of the storm. But if you and I will hold to the promises of God, I'm telling you right now, you're not going to sink. 
and you're not going to drown. Because the Bible says in Job 42 that the plans and the purposes of God cannot be thwarted. I'm telling you today on the authority of the word of God, you're going to go over. You're not going to go under. God has made you more than a conqueror through Christ who loves you. Thanks be unto God who always leads us in triumphal procession. No, my friend, you and I have the great and the precious promises of God working and active in our life. Amen. Do you hold to them? Are you standing upon them? Are you memorizing them? Because let me tell you, they are great and they are precious. The promise is you're going to make it to the other side. There's something interesting about the Sea of Galilee. You should continue your note taking because this is interesting. Because the sea is the lowest fresh water sea in the earth, it's prone to storms. Even today. 680 feet below sea level, surrounded by mountains. And you know what happens to the Sea of Galilee? Storms happen suddenly and violently. It's so low, it's such a below sea level area with the high mountains, storms will come on it suddenly and violently. Anyone ever had a sudden storm come on you? I'll never forget the end of 2016, I was in Nicaragua training pastors. We hiked a tall mountain right on the north border of Honduras, going to a Christian radio tower, when all of a sudden, blood vessels, like a spider web of blood, blood vessels burst beneath my, behind my left eye. I had just climbed the tower. And I looked over into Honduras, and in an instant, blood vessels. It was like seeing a spider web of blood. It dissipates. I finish my mission there. I come home and go to a retina specialist. And I'll never forget, he walks into the office. He sits down and he says, you have trouble brewing. Anyone have, ever have a storm of life? Anyone ever have a storm beginning to brew? Storms often come violently. Storms often come suddenly. And some of you are listening to me today, and you know exactly how the disciples felt. You know that right now you have winds of trouble blowing in your life. You know right now that the boat of your life is beginning to fill with troubled water. Friends, we're going to learn exactly what to do today when these times come. It's interesting that the disciples were not afraid of storms. You know, when I think about the disciples, half of them were fishermen. And what did Jesus tell them? Drop your nets, follow me. And Jesus said, I'll make you fishers of men. And so they followed Jesus. But listen, they were extremely familiar with the Sea of Galilee. You think storms scared the disciples? I mean, I don't, I don't know about you, but I just, I picture Peter, a big old burly guy. I picture Peter, a hairy, big, loud, 
gruff, belched a lot, laughed a lot, probably pretty rude at times, sailor. This is how I picture him. I know he couldn't run fast because remember, John outran him. I picture him just a big burly guy. Disciples weren't afraid of storms. You know what? I don't think this was any ordinary storm. And you know what? Many of you have weathered storm after storm after storm after storm as they indeed come. But some of you today, you're facing a different storm. You're facing a unique storm. You're facing the storm of your life. Verse number 36, the Bible says that leaving the crowds, they took Jesus as he was and other boats were with him. I think Jesus was so exhausted. I think what I read in here, it feels like they just had to carry him down to the stern of the ship. He's ministered. He's poured out and he's poured out and he's poured out and he's utterly exhausted. Isn't it something, my friends, that you and I have a Savior who was 100% God, yet he was 100% man? Isn't it something that we serve a Savior who was so exhausted and so physically drained that even a violent storm couldn't wake him up? You're tired in life. You're mentally drained. You're emotionally drained. You're physically exhausted today. Let me tell you, the Savior understands. He was so tired this day, he's asleep in the stern of the ship and not even a sudden and a violent, and I'll prove to you, a satanic storm could not even wake him up. That's how tired our Savior was. And they take him as he is and they put him in the stern of the ship and uh, the Bible says he goes to sleep on a cushion. Verse 37, and a windstorm arose. And water began to break into their ship. And all of a sudden, the ship begins to get filled. Now, friends, again, we're talking about experienced fishermen. We're not talking about novices. We're not talking about people who don't know what to do. These are career fishermen. Water fills the boat and it's about to break apart and the wind is violent. And where's the Savior? Where's the Master? Where's the Teacher? He's asleep in the stern. Isn't that just like our lives? We're all worried. We're all panicked. We think we're going under. We think this is the end. And you know what? The Savior's at perfect rest. Well, the disciples, watch this. Verse 38, he goes down. The disciples go down and they wake him. Teacher, do you not care that we are about to perish? That's how some of you feel today. Does Jesus really care? Does he really see? Does he really notice? Does he really care about what you're going through right now. You see God helping this person. You see God helping that person. And it feels as though God is interested and God is active and God is involved in everyone else's life except yours. It feels like God answers all of these prayers except mine. Does the master care? In the beginning of this series, I argued that 
I believe it was Peter who wrote the Gospel of Mark. Matthew wrote the Gospel of Matthew. Dr. Luke wrote the Gospel of Luke. And John the Beloved wrote the Gospel of John. But who wrote the book of Mark? Well, we know John Mark penned it. We know that. But did he write it? My personal opinion, that's all it is, it's not a belief, it's an opinion, is that Peter dictated to John Mark the book. Now, why do I feel that way? A few reasons. Number one, I feel that way because in 1 Peter, Peter refers to John Mark as his son in the faith. Like Paul had Timothy, John Mark was a son to Peter. Peter and John Mark spent some time in Rome together. That's actually who Mark is writing to. He's writing to Roman Christians. Another few reasons I believe it is because Peter was friends with John Mark's family. When Peter was arrested by King Herod, James was killed with the sword. Peter was arrested in Acts chapter 12 on the night of Peter's execution. Remember, he's asleep in the prison. And do you remember what happened in Acts chapter 12? An angel showed up in all of his glorious light, and Peter's asleep. Do you think you could sleep the night of your execution? And Peter is sawing logs. Peter's in such a deep sleep that the angel don't even, it can't even wake him up. The Bible says that the angel had to strike Peter to even get him up. Now, friends, that's a good night's sleep. I remember the night, you can go back on our Awakened to Grace app and hear the sermon. I remember the Sunday that I was to preach out of Acts chapter 12 when we were marching through the book of Acts. We spent two years in the book of Acts. And I remember that Sunday morning was my text in Acts chapter 12, and it was on Peter getting a good night's sleep and how the angel struck him just to even wake him up. And I remember that Saturday night, The family had gone to bed. It was about 11 o'clock, and I was doing something. I don't even remember. That Saturday night, I had a white T-shirt on, and I was already blind in this eye because in surgery they tore my retina. And all of a sudden, a blood vessel burst in this eye, and a thick black streak all I could see. My friends, in an instant, in an instant, my t-shirt became wet with sweat. My heart beat out of my chest, and I've never felt fear like I felt it that night. I said, God, what am I going to do? And I'll never forget the Holy Spirit saying, Peter went to bed. Peter faced death, Chad. Peter was to be executed the next night. And Peter went to bed. And the Holy Spirit said, go to bed and sleep well. And preach with all your might the next morning. Do you remember when Peter was rescued, the angel... The chains fell off. 
They go to the iron gate and the iron gate opens of its own accord, the scripture says. And all of a sudden, Peter's in the street and the angel leaves him and he realizes this is, oh, this isn't a dream. I'm free. Do you remember where he goes? He goes to the prayer meeting, the all night prayer meeting at Mary's house. And who is Mary? The mother of John Mark. I believe that Peter wrote the book of Mark, just my hunch. I believe he wrote it for a number of reasons. I think that John Mark was one of his sons in the faith. I think they spent a great deal of time in the persecution of Rome together, and he's writing to the Roman audience. They have family history together. Mary's house was essentially the safe house in Jerusalem. I believe Peter wrote it because of the fast-paced nature of the book. What did we say 40 times? The Greek word ethos is mentioned immediately or straightforward. It's a fast-moving The word and 1,100 times in the Greek. And then, and then, and then, and then. And it's just moving fast. That's how Peter was. Read the book of Acts. The first 12 chapters. Peter never let grass grow underneath his feet. He moved. But let me tell you one of the strongest evidences in my mind why I think Peter wrote the book. Who do you think woke the master up? Who do you think said, teacher, do you not care that we're about to perish? Who would you bet? I bet it's Peter. I bet it's Peter who always sticks both feet in his mouth. I bet it's always Peter who always reacts and then thinks. Can anybody identify with Peter? I bet it's Peter who is always ready Fire and then aim. I bet it's Peter. And let me tell you the biblical reason why I bet it's Peter who said, Master, do you not care? What did the old man, the aged, the godly, the Holy Ghost filled Peter write to Christians in 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 7? What does he say? Casting all your care upon him because he cares for you. Where did Peter learn that? I believe he learned it this night when he woke the master and said, Do you not care that we're about to perish? Friends, he cares for you. He knows. He knows exactly what you're facing. So here we are, the storm, the wind, rises and it's a sudden it's a violent storm the boat is taking on water it's about to break apart they're about to sink and Peter and the disciples go down into the ship scholars tell us they think the ships were about 26 feet long and about seven feet wide in 1986 a ruin of a ship was found in the Sea of Galilee. The water levels got so low, they found a ruin from this time period and they were able to reconstruct and preserve it. And it's about 26 feet long and about seven feet wide. And they say, do you not care? What happens next? Jesus awoke and he rebuked the wind. 
If you enjoyed today's broadcast and would like to hear more great content, you can always download our free mobile app, Awakened to Grace, where you can request prayer, find sermons, articles, blogs, music, podcasts, as well as support us financially. You can also visit either of our websites at www.preachingchristchurch.com or www.awakenedtograce.com for more information about our church or our resource ministry. Thank you for listening to Awakened to Grace.